As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back. It's Prospects to Pros on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Dane Brugler, as always, with my co-host Lance Zerline. Today we need to talk about a talented quarterback who has entered the draft with his sights set on the first round. We also need to talk about a former first-round quarterback who was just benched. We'll revisit his draft evaluation, talk a little bit about that situation. But you know, Lance, I want to start with the all-rookie team uh, that I put together and posted uh, this week on The Athletic. I went position by position. I picked who I thought has been the top performer uh, at each position along with a runner up. And yeah, the feedback's been interesting. Uh, some positions I think were pretty easy. Others were a little tougher, uh, especially uh, at quarterback. So I'm eager to get your feedback, your opinion, Lance. Uh, I'm sure we'll agree on some of this, maybe disagree on others, but let's just, let's start at the top, start at quarterback. We've had Two really impressive quarterbacks so far with Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert, and through a quarter of the season, you know, we're done with the first quarter. I went with Justin Herbert as, you know, kind of winning my, the quarterback position of my all rookie team a quarter way through. And again, it's, uh, if I had to take one of these two quarterbacks long-term, I'm still taking Joe Burrow, but Herbert in three starts, I, I think has done a little bit more. The production's better. The impact plays I think you also throw in the fact that you know he wasn't planning on starting. He was basically uh, thrust in there in week two, didn't have much time to prepare, and you know he he really thought he'd be still be sitting on the bench at this point. So he's come in and played at a pretty high level. I, I think one of the big reasons for me that I picked Herbert was uh, the impact plays. He's got more passing plays of twenty plus yards down the field. Uh, he's got more pass plays that resulted in first downs uh, than Burrow. So Joe Burrow's been outstanding, but I gave the slight edge to Herbert. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? I, I'm I'm okay with it. I think one of the things that you you look at is Joe Burrow was groomed from the very beginning to be the starter for the Bengals. So even though we had limited run up time because of COVID. 
he still was in that mindset. And I think that's a, I think that's an interesting point you raise. And you had some good data points as well about, um, effectiveness with explosive plays and first downs for Justin Herbert. I think you could, you could argue as well that, nah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, right now, Burrow is doing about what I expected him to do. A lot of his throws are checked down and short. Burrow has actually, not been the one to look down the field. The guy to look down the field has been more Herbert. Um, mm-hmm. And I think another thing that Herbert has done, which is a little interesting compared to what he did in college, and one of the knocks was that he's extended some plays and made some plays on the move, and that was one of the knocks on him. Um, when you look at expectations, I think Burrow is playing – up to and potentially beyond expectations for early in the season, at least expectations from, from people who do this for a living or, or people who live with draft stuff. And you know, you know what I mean? Spend so much time on that who have an honest assessment, not a fan's perspective where you think he's going to be, you know, Michael Jordan of football right out of the gate. Burrow has played, Burrow has played well. I've been impressed with him, but I've been more impressed with Herbert relative to my expectation. And I think that's probably where you're going as well. Who expected Herbert to be free stroking it like he is right now? Um, I expected Burrow to do all the smart things that he's done. But what I didn't expect was for Herbert to handle the pressure that he's had up to this point and handle it so beautifully. And I think that I don't, you know, honestly, I wouldn't have had a problem with either guy in that spot, but I understand where you're coming from with Herbert because Herbert has done more than expected relative to Joe Burrow. I think we expected Joe to be solid. Six touchdowns, two interceptions, 300 yards a game. I mean, that's fantastic. That's really good. But Joe is being, I I think he's not taking as many chances down the field. And what we see with, with Herbert is a guy who's more willing to cut it loose a little bit. And I, you know, I saw it on tape with Herbert. He'd do that. I, I also think once more tape is out on both players, that favors Joe Burrow by the end of the year because Joe doesn't care if you know how he plays. With Herbert, I think he's going to start to give up some tells uh, the more he plays. But for right now, I got no problem with Herbert at the number one spot uh, where you have him. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you you definitely made good points, and I, I think it's it's really a toss up. I, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I, I think it's going to get a little tougher for Burrow coming up. If they're at Baltimore on Sunday. Burrow has been, you know, like you said, as expected, he's finding vulnerable spots in the defense. He's not necessarily pushing the ball downfield. Uh, I think people have pointed out that about his offensive line, but you know, Justin Herbert doesn't ha- exactly have a great offensive line either uh, with the Chargers. So it's, it, it is a interesting argument and I don't think there is a clear cut uh, answer and it's going to be really interesting to see because uh, I'm going to do these all rookie teams at the halfway juncture, three quarters, and then of course at the end, how this discussion evolves throughout the season. Can Herbert keep this up? Is Burrow kind of stay at this pace, or do we see him start to maybe let it loose a little bit down the field? So uh, this quarterback discussion is going to be really interesting the rest of the way. I want to move over to running back, which is also a little it was a little tough. I went with. The drafted guy. I went with James Robinson, uh, who uh, it has been really impressive. He leads all uh, rookie running backs in rushing touchdowns. Uh, he is just behind Edwards Alaire in rushing yards uh, by about 20 yards, but he's got a much better yards per carry average. Uh, he leads all rookie rushers in uh, carries of uh, 
10 yards or more. So, I mean, there's just a lot about Robinson that I think has been impressive so far. I do expect Edwards Alaire to, uh, you know, really pick up. He feels like he, there's just a big breakout game coming for him. It's just, he hasn't, hasn't needed to have that because of course in that chiefs offense with Pat Mahomes and the amount of talent they have on that roster, they really haven't needed Edwards Alaire to kind of uh, you know make that make that big play, but it just feels like there's a breakout game coming from him. But hey, through four games, let's give some credit to the undrafted guy. Yeah, I, it, this has been you know for Jacksonville to go with him and then for him to play uh, the way he's played. That's it's just been very I've been very very impressed with James Robinson. I don't think you know long term, and I've watched him a little bit this year. Long term, I still think he's going to. You know, potentially have some. I, I think you need to block it up well. I think he needs a clear point of entry just because he's a bigger guy and he doesn't have a tremendous amount of burst, which I think is going to pop up and show itself from time to time in certain matchups. But the toughness and the consistency that he's shown as a runner, um, I've just been so impressed. And this is another case of a guy outplaying where, you know, where he was drafted slash not drafted and then outplaying to me, outplaying his scouting report for sure. Edwards Alaire, Look great in game one against the Texans. He looks good when they ask him to do what, what he needs to do. But like you said, I mean, the head honcho there is going to be Pat Mahomes. And if they catch a heater with Pat Mahomes, then they're going to ride Pat Mahomes. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you're, it may not be statistically as good as James Robinson, but when they call on him, when they need him, I think he can come through. Um, James Robinson, though, I, I think – as a workhorse back, he kind of portrays the new grittier mindset that Jacksonville wants to get back to, which is, hey, there's no superstars. You know, think about this. The guys they've gotten rid of, Fournette, Jalen Ramsey, Dante Fowler, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, they're either first-round picks or high-dollar guys in, in Ngakwe's case. They wanted to clean up the locker room. They wanted to clean up some of the, you know, some of the personality in the locker room, I guess, and get it more team-focused. And does anything say team focus more than an undrafted grinder at running back who just puts in the carries, straps on the feedback and says, let's go, let's get to work. You need the carries. I'll give you the carries and I will, and I will take some pressure off, off of Gardner Minshew. And I think this is an interesting embodiment of what Jacksonville wants to get back to. Yeah, no, no question. And it's been interesting because Robinson wasn't the most productive pass catcher in college. He only 16 catches his senior year at Illinois State. He's already got 14 catches this year, which is tied with Edward Delaire for the most among rookie running backs. So he's doing it on the ground and through the air with his ability in the screen game. So that's what you know gave him the edge at this point. But it's going to be interesting the rest of the way. When you factor in what uh, you know, some of these other rookie running backs are going to be able to do, the opportunities they're going to have. Uh, you know, you look in Washington with Antonio Gibson. You know, it looks like he's getting more and more of the workload down there. Joshua Kelly with the Chargers. Now that Eckler's down with an injury, yeah. Kelly's going to get more uh, carries. So you know, Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis. So I think the running back conversation is going to remain fluid as we go forward with these rookies. Yeah, I know the Colts feel like Jonathan Taylor's very close to breaking out. Right now he's averaging 3.8 yards a carry, and he's more of a, you know, he's more of a, a bully. He's more of a sledgehammer that the Colts running game is more of a sledgehammer where they're maintaining possession of the football and they're keeping Phillip Rivers uh, from being behind the sticks too often. But I think you're going to see Taylor start to find his groove, and I think 
you know, when you look at this list that you have as honorable mention, Josh Kelly is, is certainly going to get that opportunity. J.K. Dobbins. I think J.K. Dobbins is interesting because right now you're going to go earlier in the season, I think, with the proven commodities. And look, there's a three-headed monster over there at running back that they use, uh, mm-hmm. with Edwards and Ingram and Dobbins. But I think Dobbins is the guy with that home run speed when he gets through, when he gets past, uh, the line of scrimmage, he's a guy that can hit more big plays. And I think as the season progresses, I think you're going to start seeing Dobbins get more of the fourth down carries uh, because he has a chance after an offense has been worn down, I think, to make the explosive play. So he's another guy I would keep your, your eye on. But yeah, in terms of these rookie running backs, it's a pretty good season. And, and Gibson is a dual threat running back um, with the change at quarterback, which we're going to get to in just a little bit. That may mean they focus even more on Antonio Gibson. Yep, great point. Uh, another really challenging position was that wide receiver. Uh, you know, we talked about so much this position being the strength of the draft class, and uh, you know, more draft picks in the first two rounds than ever before. And you know, so far we've seen several of these guys uh, play well. Whether it's T. Higgins uh, kind of emerging as the top target for Burrow in Cincinnati, uh, you know, we saw Brandon Ayuk start to heat up a little bit uh, this past week. Gabriel Davis for the Bills uh, has a couple touchdown catches so far. So Gabriel uh, Davis is coming along, he is. and I tell you what, you know, so the most interesting. He's got eight catches for 129 and two touchdowns. But just like Justin Jefferson, it's been over the last two. And Justin right. Jefferson is your runner-up. And it's been over the last two games uh, that we've seen that. You look at this list of wide receivers, and it was and it was called the most um, – it was called the deepest wide receiver draft in the last couple decades. I know Daniel Jeremiah mentioned that. A lot of people mentioned that. But when you see this list, you understand why and what guys have done. Devin Duvernay, uh, return a kick for a touchdown the other day. He's been a pretty good target for them. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, yeah. I think, has really been a nice – I know he had some injury concerns, but I think LaVisca Chenault is really coming on as the number two option behind DJ Chark, and he can carry the ball as well. So I'm really interested to see how he progresses this year. We know about Jerry Judy, but I want to say Brandon Ayuk. Another mm-hmm. game-breaking play the other the other day, jumping over for San Francisco, jumping over the tackler and scoring on a yards after catch, which is his college specialty. Chase Claypool started off very hot this year. Brian Edwards is just very quietly handling some very tough catches for the Raiders because that's what he's known for doing: going over the middle and and catching it while being banged on. And um, what a what a great and Justin Jefferson was just this is you put him runner up which he deserves based on the last two games. He really didn't even get targets the first two games. Right. And all of a sudden he's ruining teams the last two week with his two weeks with his ability. Yeah. And well, and you know, we, all those names we mentioned, I mean, I throw Darnell Mooney in there as well, what he's done for the bears outplaying where he was drafted and where we thought, you know, he should be drafted and not even mentioning Henry Ruggs, the first receiver drafted, he's been banged up. Rager in Philly, he, he's been banged up as well, but I, I think he's in a position to make some noise the rest of the season. But really, this came down to two guys for me, C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson. Uh, like you said, for Jefferson, it's really been the last two weeks. Uh, he's been remarkable, and it doesn't seem like it's going to slow down anytime soon. So Jefferson could overtake Lamb uh, you know, coming up here at the halfway point. But in terms of consistency so far through four weeks, I gave it to Lamb. He leads all rookies 
in receptions uh, with 21. He has yet to register a drop. He's tied for the rookie lead in touchdown catches with two. And listen, I get it. He, he's got Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup kind of protecting him where Lamb's playing a lot in the slot. He's, he has a lot of open windows over the middle of the field where it hasn't really been as much of a challenge for him, but not going to take that production away from him. C.D. Lamb, through the first four weeks, to me, he gets that spot, even though it's probably been a little bit easier for him than some of these other rookie receivers. I'm such a dumbass. I, I had Justin Jefferson in my fantasy football auction, and I got him for like $4, and I thought, oh, I stole him. You know, because right. he's a guy that's going to take over for Stephon Diggs' targets, even though I knew Thielen would be the guy. And I know he likes BC Johnson as well. But then after the first two games, I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe there's just something there that I needed help on my roster. I dropped him after the first two games. Oh, no. Oh, my God. And all of a sudden, he's your runner up on your all rookie team, and I'm sitting there like a jerk now with just, and somebody even said, nice job, draft guy. Yeah, no, I (laughs) I thought I had, I thought I stole him and then I give him up after two weeks. I mean, come on, Lance, you do this for a living, sit tight, stop being so impatient. Like a Bill O'Brien team would have, well, a formerly a Bill O'Brien team, not, not one currently. One, (laughs) one aside I want to mention, because I know you saw this when you studied Gabriel Davis. Do you remember how he ruined Paulson Adebo from Stanford last year in the game that they played? That's, That's something one. that Adebo this year when scouts are sitting at the, uh, you know, in the war room at the table. That's something that's going to come up when, when they talk about Adebo and, you know, his uh, projection to the NFL. So I'm going to see if you remember this, because a lot of times there will be a player like Quentin Nelson, mm-hmm. the LSU game, and the, LSU bowl and game. the bowl game. So what if I what about when I mention um, Alvin Kamara? Oh, uh, which uh, he had a couple in college. Flashes. There was there yeah. was one game where it was, was like it, was that the Alabama game? Which is no, you're close. It was the A and M game. It? Okay, it's, yeah, it's the A and M game where Hurd got hurt and Kamar came in, and you would have sworn Kamar was the greatest running back yeah. prospect in the last ten years when you watched his tape. And there's always that one tape, and it can be positive or negative that you can't get out of your head. You know, right. you know it just like I do. It's also negative, like Paulson Adebo. I can't get uh, Justin Jefferson. What he did against LSU's corners, including Stingley, it was like you know off his release is like holy crap. Uh, not Justin Jefferson. I'm sorry, um, Van Jefferson. When Van Jefferson was turning around every LSU cornerback, right in his routes, it was like wow. You can't unsee that. That was incredible. Similarly, when you watch Paulson Adebo get done up by Gabriel Davis, you realize, man. Adebo's got some work to do, and as far as I know, is he back? Is he has he? I haven't seen him opt out. I mean, I assume he's playing in the Pac-12 schedule. No, Adebo opted out. Yeah, he's 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 going pro, and doesn't look like he's. so a couple of these Pac-12 guys have come back. Uh, Vera Tucker at USC, Lenore the corner at Oregon, Bynum the corner at Cal. But no, it looks like Adebo's going to stay out, and yeah, it's unfortunate we're not going to have that updated tape this season because last year's tape it wasn't pretty there was some good and some bad but it yeah. it left me it left me concerned i mean and with gabriel davis i wondered well you know i know he's a vertical guy but can he can he be an intermediate player can he work all three levels but he's done a nice job up to this point your top tight end has done a nice job and he was you know he, he was probably my favorite guy to watch from the tight end class last year yeah, and to be honest, he didn't have much competition here. Adam Troutman has three catches. Saguara in Green Bay had the ACLs. 
Uh, he's out for the out for the year. Uh, Colt Komet's been more of a blocker for the for the Bears. He's done okay. Uh, but yeah, it, this is this is Harrison Bryant's uh, position right now with what he has done. You know, we know that the the Browns and Stefanski scheme they're going to use the tight end quite a bit. And with Njoku uh, hurt, it's really been able to uh, give uh, Bryant more opportunities with Austin Hooper, and he's taken advantage of them. Been really impressive, and not just as a pass catcher, which that that's what made him a fourth round pick. And, you know, I think you and I were both surprised he fell out of day two, but the Browns certainly got great value for him early on day three. Yeah. I, I really liked him a lot. Um, I, I loved his dog and that's what, and that's one yeah. of the reasons why I was so, you know, the, I think the one trait that you really need to look for, or if you see it, it can make you feel better about a prospect is when you see a guy who's a ferocious competitor and you always get this sense whenever they're blocking, like that's one of the best ways, how they handle contested catches, how they defend contested catches, how they work through a block. If you're a linebacker, how they finish when you're an offensive lineman for a tight end, you know, it's going to be how physical you can play. And with Harrison Bryant, despite the fact he's a little smaller and he has shorter arms, I thought he was of, I thought he was an effective blocker. And what I loved about him is he was a finisher. Like he would stay glued to blocks and that takes a toughness and a willingness. And when that mindset is present, I feel good about them as NFL draft prospects. When I see a little softness uh, as a blocker, you just wonder if they'll be able to handle um, the NFL game. Now, I remember C.J. Uzuma from the Bengals getting killed for being soft. I like right. the athleticism and everything, but he's turned into an NFL player. Um, you know, Obviously, he got hurt, but he's turned into an NFL player. Harrison Bryant, I never doubted his toughness, never. It was the same type of toughness I saw from, um, uh, from San Francisco, from um, – Iowa, my, the tight end. Kittle? Yeah, from great uh, from uh, George Kittle. When Kittle was at Iowa, he was undersized, but he right. was nasty. And you got to be nasty as a blocker at Iowa. Mm-hmm. I saw some of that with Harrison Bryant. I didn't worry. I mean, Harrison Bryant was a former basketball player as well. He's got the basketball athleticism. I didn't worry about him as a pass catcher. I just wanted to see if his size could hold up because I know he's a little small framed. And I'll tell you what, he's been as good as advertised. And um, I think his toughness is a nice addition to those 12 personnel groupings and something you made great a great point about in your article you guys really need to go check this out in the athletic dane's got a great write-up but the 12 grouping has really been a godsend i think for baker mayfield to help calm him down the running game out of the 12 formation out of the 12 grouping and being able to pass with austin hooper and harrison bryant out of 12 has really made a difference yeah no, no question and you know i think to your point with Bryant, he he made the uh, the uncommon transition from an offensive lineman in high school to right. tight end. So he's got that blocking in his background, and it, it certainly showed. And so going to other blockers now on the offensive line, offensive tackle, this it, it was a little tough going into Week Four. I was debating about okay, well, who's this going to be? Is this you know Jedrick Wills has a shot or you know as a, as a case to be the top guy? Mikai Becton, uh, even Andrew Thomas has played solid, but. After week four, I, I mean, it has to be Tristan Wirfs, not only when you consider how he has played, but who he has played, you know, whether it's Cam Jordan, the opener and how impressive he looked there against Bradley Chubb, Brian Burns this past week uh, against Joey Bosa, who, you know, Joey Bosa is obviously not 100 percent. You can tell, but still Tristan Wirfs in the run game and pass protection. He's been outstanding, and I, you know, I, I know some people talked about how he's gonna have to move the guard. I, I mean, he has more than held his own at tackle, and he has been 
Uh, I mean, he's been a pro bowler up to this point. So not just uh, not just this all rookie team. He's been one of the best tackles uh, on the young season. For me, I never had a. I never really was worried about the pass protection, other than oversetting. The oversetting right. was the big concern. Is that and the oversetting for people who don't know is the offensive lineman. You know those first couple steps. If they if they race out too quickly, it allows an inside door for the for the the pass rusher to go inside. So you don't want to overset. You want to you want to. It's just like phasing up as a cornerback. You want to stay in phase with the route runner. You want to stay in phase with the defensive end. Usually, you study and you find out if guys, you know, where their inside moves come. Is it on the third step? Is it on the first step? You know, where exactly is your guy going to try to hit an inside move? And if you find that he's typically an outside pass rusher, then you can you can set outside more quickly with with more confidence. With Tristan Wirfs, the offensive line coach Harold Goodwin and, and that staff has done a good job of getting him. Um, comfortable with with setting properly and not oversetting and then the second thing has been you know he's got such beautiful feet and such natural uh base strength that that he has really been that dancing bear out on the edge my question was always more of a run blocking you know how he would do as a run blocker but if you're a really good pass protector in this day and age people can live with average run blocking and when i say average i mean i think he's i think he's good in zone scheme stuff i think just you know the ability to bend and play underneath guys um from a leverage standpoint was a question for me but forget all that stuff tristan Wirfs has been extremely impressive at right tackle I knew Tom Brady could protect him by getting the ball out, but he really hasn't had right. to protect him. And one of Chubb's, uh, you know, Chubb's sack last week came on the other side, uh, the other side of the offensive line. And it came after a delay, you know, kind of a delayed, it wasn't a delay, but it was, a it was more of a, pre, more of a coverage uh, sack than anything. So really impressive from worse, really impressive stuff. Yeah, and I went with Becton as my runner-up, even though I think Jedrick Wills could have been the choice as well. Um, uh, Becton's played uh, mistake-free football, you know, zero penalties. You see the the mental mistakes not piling up. Where with Wills, he, he's got two false starts. He's got a holding penalty. Um, but still, when you consider he's moving to left tackle for the first time in his life, uh, I mean, Jedrick Wills has been terrific as well. So it is, it, these, these offensive tackles, I think you could even throw Austin Jackson in that mix as a guy who – has has played well and um you know deserves to be mentioned so it's just that Wirfs has played uh you know better than uh the rest of the guys and I did want to get your opinion on the interior of the offensive line because this is where uh you know a couple of these guys have played uh, better than I thought you know we've we talked about Solomon Kinley uh on past episodes I think Jonah Jackson's been really good but Michael and Wayne from uh out of Michigan uh, who the Patriots drafted in the sixth round this guy has been a revelation for them. He's he's really helped stabilize that offensive line with the injuries they've had. Uh, he was basically a right guard only in college, but you look at him, he's, he's playing left guard. He's playing right guard. He played a little bit at tackle uh, for the Patriots. I, I mean, I was, I was concerned, uh, you know, of course the, the weight fluctuation was something you worried about coming out of college. Uh, you know, he was between the 340, 350 mark, but also the timing and technique. Those were two areas where, it was very inconsistent on his college tape. And I thought, okay, well, against the NFL competition, when everything's faster, uh, you know, it, it's something that is a little bit of a worry. But so far, credit to the Patriots coaches and credits on Wayne himself because they've that hasn't been as much of an issue. And he has more than held his own and, and played really well. 
Yeah, I um, what I wrote up on him was powerful and wide. His natural play strength is somewhat offset by below average athletic ability. With better hand placement and attention to footwork, he has the ability to take a step forward as a dry blocker with the ability to move bodies around. But he'll be a scheme-specific prospect who could struggle against quick upfield and sub-package rushers. He has day three backup guard ability and potential. Um he is playing ahead of the curve to me, but the one thing with him that was always interesting, if you could find an offensive scheme that asked him to fire out and move people around, that's what he had. He had size, he had strength, and he had a level of um, natural NFL power that that really intrigued me. And I just think he needed to tighten up, you know, some of the technique stuff. And I think that's one of the things that he's that he's done is. He has recovery balance for a big man, too. He has better balance than you expect. Um, he holds up in stalemates. Like He's got that natural power that I think really fits what the Patriots like out of their guard. With Shaq Mason, he was an undersized guy coming out of Georgia Tech. But Shaq Mason was another guy who could really get into you and push you around with some power and some leverage. So... Um, I, I, I like that you I like that you spotlighted uh Unwenyu and and as opposed to going with may, maybe a bigger name uh prospect out there, he's actually been the guy that I think has been the most important. And that's a team that started running the ball better as well. I mean, they've had some games where they said, Hey, let's let's lean on the running game. And Damian Harris ran the ball really well this week. You the week before you had a couple guys uh that that I think went over a hundred yards. Uh certainly Sony Michelle did. So mm-hmm. he's done a nice job in the interior. Yeah. And it's a position that I think we're going to see uh, the rest of the year. A few guys, uh, you know, maybe get a little bit better as they get uh, more experience. Guys like Lloyd Cushenberry in Denver. Um, I'm eager to see Tyler Biotish uh, with the Cowboys, with Looney Hurt. Can he hold up as a starting center there? With Travis Frederick being the starting center in Dallas all those years, it's something they really haven't had to worry about. So can uh, Biotish kind of give them some consistency? Um, okay, I want to... Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Get over to the defense now. Uh, we'll breeze through some of these. Uh, edge rusher wasn't really wasn't really a conversation to be had. Chase Young, even though he has been out the last game and a half with a, a groin injury, still been the most consistent and impressive pass rusher in this group. And I'm not even I, I struggled with who to come up with uh, for the runner up. You know, Calavion Chase on's been a sub package guy with adequate production so far. Um, same thing with Gross Matos. Uh, same thing with DJ Epinesa. Um, yeah, it's really been the Chase Young show and then kind of everybody else. But I, I gave the runner-up to Alton Robinson in, in Seattle, who was a flash player at Syracuse, very little consistency, and 
I mean, he's only played 57 snaps, but he's made some impact with his pass rush, uh, especially the last two weeks, especially in week three against the Cowboys. So uh, Seahawks are just dying for more pass rush. And maybe maybe Robinson can be the, uh, the answer there in Seattle. Yeah, he's got a lot of talent. I mean, you could see the explosiveness on tape. He has a juice. Um, I think he's probably going to lock in. I will say that Grossmatos has gotten better with every week. He got his first sack last week, a strip sack. So he's a guy to keep your he's a guy to keep your eye on. And I think Caleb on Chase on is another one to 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 obviously keep your eye on moving forward. I don't expect a lot of Epinesa this year out of the Bills, but uh, yeah, Alton Robinson is the guy that I would say is a is a very good addition as as runner up and as you mentioned there's nobody really that stands out other than chase young so i'd i'd agree with all this yeah and a defensive tackle i think it's just more chalk uh derrick brown top 10 pick widely considered the top defensive tackle uh in this class uh, has lived up to it and kind of exactly what we thought as a pass rusher uh he's still kind of piecing things together but a dominant run defender and that's something that as has really shown so far. He leads all rookies with five tackles for loss. Uh, you know, he's tied with guys like Joey Bosa, Grady Jarrett, Brendan Graham for the most tackles for loss among defensive linemen uh, so far this year. And you know, going back, you look at the with the with the Panthers. Uh, they they took a little bit of heat for taking the defensive tackle over Isaiah Simmons or uh, over the corner C.J. Henderson when they needed uh, another uh, corner on the outside there. But Brown's been exactly what they thought he'd be, a dominant run defender, had a great game uh, against uh, Arizona on Sunday. So he's uh, he's lived up to the hype. Yeah, and I never had any doubt that he'd be a dominant run, a run stuffer. The question was going to be, you know, he was going to get drafted early. There was a chance he could fall. You know, mm-hmm. in later in the top ten, there was that chance, but then he was he was drafted early, and certainly on my board, he was either number two or number three behind Chase Young. Um, I I loved him. I just thought his play yeah. was incredible. I thought going back to school, he raised his profile. He got better as a football player, and he really made that jump. And I think that's I remember that. Remember, just remember us talking about this with Derek Brown because all the guys who've been allowed to opt back in, they're going to get better. Their tape's going to get better. So the grade that I gave guys who opted out when I watched them, I've got to go back now and and put that scouting report aside and then re-watch the players once they've played this year so I can be fair to them because there are going to be guys who opt back in who are going to improve their stock the same way that Derek Brown improved his stock by going back to school uh, for a senior year. I, I, I think stopping, you know, Getting back to Carolina defense with Matt Rule, what you want is you want that fearsome front again. And that's something Carolina's had in the past. And I think that's a, the reason they went with Derrick Brown is they wanted to get back to building the fronts. And that's a great, you know, that's a that's a great job. I saw your your uh your runner up is a solid runner up, Javon Kinlaw, and he has been disruptive. He doesn't have the production, and that's kind of some of the stuff we saw at South Carolina where right. he could flash disruption but you do want to see more production the guy on your honorable mention list that a lot of people are talking about is Malcolm Roach who came out of nowhere and the Saints have really loved what Malcolm Roach has given them because you know he wasn't even much of a factor at Texas last year he was you could see the flashes right yeah and and I didn't think they really had him in a great position uh from a 
from a, what they asked him to do, which was more read and react stuff and in in the defense they had last year. I think Malcolm might have benefited um, from playing a little differently if they asked him to do some different things. But he's he's really been a nice addition to the Saints. So I just kind of wanted to shout him out because he is in your honorable mention list. No, and he deserves it because, uh, you know, he he did have his flashes with the Longhorns. He had like nine tackles for a loss uh, last season as a senior. Uh, he had a blocked field goal at one point. He was a team captain. What you loved about him was just the eagerness that he played with, uh, you know, the motor. He had a heavy, heavy punch. And so, you know, like how we, like we talked about earlier, you know, the guys with that effort, guys with that aggressive mentality – uh, you you take chances on that guy. And that's why I gave him a fifth round grade. And yeah, I think he is, he has lived up to it. No question. At, at linebacker, a couple more first rounders. I think Kenneth Murray has been very deserving uh, with what he's done, but I, I gave the edge to Patrick queen, you know, you plug him into that Baltimore defense and he's been a playmaker. And, you know, you go back to this point last year, it's when he really started to emerge as uh, you know, a, a first year starter, who it kind of it was obvious that okay he's just a little different you know he moves just a little bit differently than everybody else out there uh one of the youngest players in the draft and he gets better and better each week yeah he I mean I loved Patrick Queen and I thought it was just such a I thought it was such a great spot for him to go to to that defense it was just the perfect spot but as you mentioned, Kenneth Murray as well, another first-round pick, a guy who has amazing speed and blazing speed. It was a good spot for him with the front that the Chargers have. But to me, Queen is a guy who is has the best chance to I, – I don't. he's not going to pop the numbers that Darius Leonard popped um, right. a couple of years ago, but I think he is going to be – the head honcho on the second level from, you know, on one of the most uh, feared defenses in the league when it's all said and done, one of the most consistent. He's going to be on a winning team. I think he's got a great chance to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. I thought that headed in, and I think that that still holds true uh, to this day. One other one other guy that I want to mention, you know, I really haven't had a chance to see a lot of Logan Wilson, who I liked a lot. Um, I haven't really studied him very closely, but the guy that I really liked was, uh, um, or one of the guys that I have noticed that, that when I watch games, he keeps popping up as Malik Harrison, who came out of Ohio State. And he's getting some, you know, he's getting some reps on that, on that very good Baltimore defense from the second level. Malik Harrison's getting some reps too. And for Baltimore to trust two rookies with reps at linebacker, I think that says something. Yeah, no, no doubt. And especially in that scheme, uh, when they ask so much of their linebackers to play with range and to anticipate. And that's what Patrick Queen plays like he did this past Sunday. I know it was Washington, but still 12 tackles, three for loss. Um, I, yeah, I, th- I think he might be the new front runner for defensive rookie of the year uh, if he's going to play like that. And then at corner, this was this was an interesting group because uh, you know CJ Henderson got out to that quick start and then I think he's has not played as well the last few weeks. Trevon Diggs in Dallas has had the opportunity and has bent up and down. He's made some plays. He's also given up some plays. Uh, Jeff Okuda, when he uh, got back into the lineup, uh, has been a little bit up and down as well. Uh, and then Legereus Snead for for Kansas City, who is the only rookie with uh, more than one interception. Uh, unfortunately, he he suffered a fractured collarbone against the Ravens on Monday Night Football. You know, when I watched the Bears, when I studied the tape, and then when I looked at the the metrics the, in, in the production, Jalen Johnson he has been targeted twenty nine times. He's only given up twelve uh, completions. It's a burn rate of forty one point four percent, which is easily the best uh, among these rookies. 
he's he's been really really impressive no interceptions yet but seven passes defended is i think second in in all of uh, the nfl so far so jalen johnson uh got my vote for the top corner so far number 50 uh, overall pick yeah he's gonna keep getting tested um as a rookie, but he's held up so far and he looks very, very confident. And as you mentioned, Sneed went from corner his junior year to see, um, his junior year to safety his senior year back to corner. And I know that he was a guy that there were a lot of teams that kind of considered Sneed to be their, their sleeper cornerback. I was, and I know that on the Chiefs, they were really surprised that Sneed came along so quickly. They, they can't, they love their, their defensive backs coach. They think he is an absolute wizard. And Sneed's play before he dove, for those who didn't see it, he, he fractured his collarbone diving, uh, for an interception against the Ravens and he came up short and that's, you know, that, that knocked him out. But, um, I do think that, there have been some things from Jeffrey Okuda that I've really liked. I'd like to see more from Jeff Gladney. Trevon Diggs is hanging in there, but that's going to be a tough spot in Dallas as well as he continues to learn a position. I, I feel like long term, it wouldn't shock me if Trevon Diggs ended up a safety uh, because he has, he could be a cover safety where he could slide down into the slot. He can, he can go out wide against tight ends. I just, I wonder if Trevon Diggs doesn't end up um, a talented roving safety that can cover from that position. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Ojemudia in Denver, who has had some pretty pretty low low points uh, so far through four games. But I'll tell you what, give this kid credit. He keeps battling back, battling back. He has seen more targets than any other rookie corner. And there he's given up some plays, but he's also made some plays as well. So uh, I want to give him credit for sticking in there and still you know playing well for a, a rookie corner uh, at safety. Tell you what, I I thought this was going to be a runaway with Antoine Winfield with the way he's played. You know, Jeremy Chin, he's been up and down. He's had his moments, but he's also, you know, the mistakes have, you know, I I think, you know, need to be talked about as well. One guy who's really coming on now, Julian Blackman, who I know the Colts just love, who, you know, he had the ACL injury towards the end of last year, uh, did not play in the opener as he's still kind of battling his way back. He's played corner, he played safety. The last two weeks especially has really been impressive for Blackman. He, against the Bears on Sunday, had three passes defended, his first career interception, uh, only four tackles, but he's had a few of these big hits where uh, it would have been a tackle, but he dislodged the football uh, from the receiver. So I know the Colts in that inside that organization are really excited about Julian Blackman. And so he was the runner-up here behind Antoine Winfield for me. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if Blackman at some point here this season uh, takes over as the top rookie safety. Yeah, you know, a lot of I, I think a lot of uh, credit has to go to Chris Ballard for having the stones to to take Blackman at eighty five. He didn't have, you know, he had some issues with tape last year. He was a little up and down. I think that Michael playing. Pittman. You you talked about earlier yeah, how that yeah. one play can stick with you. That yep. game against USC is what soured me on Julian Blackman because Michael Pittman just had his way with the corners, and then Julian Blackman, who was uh, kind of that free safety playing the sideline, uh, watching him try to Track make it. a play at the sideline. Yeah, and just he couldn't do it. He jumping too early. He's he's not tracking the football, and that's what I could not get out of my mind uh, when I was writing up Blackman, but. Like you said, all credit to Chris Ballard for taking him as early as they did, and Off so an far, ACL. yeah, exactly. And so far, yeah, the early returns have been uh, totally worth it. Yeah, often ACL, 
there's there's some problematic tape. He played too heavy last year. Uh, I know the Colts felt very confident about him. They liked his tape. You know, from the previous season as well, they saw flashes and um, they did a great job with him. I, I I would not have expected him to contribute like this. Winfield, to me, I like Winfield. I think he'll be your top guy by the time it's, you know, by the end of the season. I think he'll t- still be your top guy. And what I love about him is he doesn't miss tackles. Yeah. This is somebody who you trust. You feel like you can trust him. And it's rare that you can trust a back-end safety as a rookie, but that's who I think he is. Yeah, like father, like son. I mean, he's Antoine Winfield Sr., one of the best tackling corners uh, you know we've seen the last 30 years. And my big hang-up with Winfield was he, he would give up some plays and coverage at, at Minnesota, and I thought – that's that's just I, I liked him, but you're gonna have to take the good with the bad. And so far, uh, you know, he he hasn't given up those uh, plays. Uh, you know, you see the instincts, you see you know the vision, the the motor that he plays with. Just just really really impressive from Winfield so far. Um, special teams, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, who I, I think you know, most of us thought would be drafted, but goes undrafted, gets the Colts uh, head job, has been really terrific f- for Indianapolis. And then Tommy Townsend uh, kind of going into a tough spot with Dustin, taking over for Dustin Colquitt, who uh, set a number of Kansas City records. Uh, you know, Townsend steps in and has been the best uh, rookie punter uh, so far. So that's that's the all-rookie team right there. I, I think it's, you know, kind of like we touched on, a lot of names who maybe didn't make the top spot or even the honorable mention, but they're going to have some opportunities here coming up. Was there one player for you, uh, Lance, who maybe wasn't uh, the winner or wasn't a runner-up who is going to, you feel strongly, is going to have a strong last, uh, you know, rest of the season? Um, I would say you probably have to go up to, well, I think Jedrick Wills. I mean, I think Jedrick yep. Wills to me, I probably would have had him, um, number two behind Worfs personally, but I want to ask you this. I, I think it was Worfs. And I also think from the running back standpoint, I think Josh Kelly is really going to start to make a name for himself because he's such a hard runner with Eckler out. I think he's going to get a chance to really, um, go to work. As you were going through the the different your you know we were going through the tackles right and we went through the tackles we went through the wide receivers in ten years are we going to call this the quarterback draft because of Jordan Love and I think I'm I think I'm going to miss one here but we've got Jordan Love obviously Tua um, mm-hmm. Justin Herbert yeah that's right Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow are we going to call right. this the quarterback draft in 10 years are we going to call this the wide receiver draft are we going to call this the offensive tackle draft if you had to pick one in 10 years what do you think this draft is going to be known for which position group I, I really think it's gonna be the offensive tackles I, I mean I think I do too I do yeah, too y- you look at five tackles in the top 20 all five were thrown into the mix from day one, asked to be starters, four of them at left tackle, I believe, and then what, one at right tackle. So, I mean, they've been asked to step in and play substantial roles. And so far, all five have lived up to it, some more so with Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills, uh, throw Beckton in there as well. Um, and uh, there's still some tackles I think we haven't seen yet. Uh, you know, Isaiah Wilson was drafted in the first round. I, I think Ezra Cleveland still has, uh, you know, a positive outlook uh, up in Minnesota. So, you know, I think it's going to be easy to look at, you know, the fantasy football positions with quarterback and receiver, but offensive tackle, it's so rare to find this much talent in one draft, let alone the first round 
like this draft had to offer. You think about the the tackle draft the year before, and I know there was a lot of teams that needed tackle. You think about some of these teams that they could have waited one more one year more. Now, granted, these tackles went much earlier, but yeah. you think about the top four tackles um, in the draft before with Jonah Williams, who some see as a guard, some see as a center. You know, others I think he can play tackle. Um, Andre Dillard, complete non-factor up to this point in yeah. in Philadelphia. Titus uh, Howard, he he had a he had a pretty good season last year before he got hurt. This year, it's he's it's more downs than ups. And then you had uh, Taylor from Florida, who I liked a lot, and he was an early second round pick. He's 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 done a pretty good job. I don't think there was another tackle taken before Taylor. Now you now you flip it to the very next year, and you're talking about. Uh, you're talking about Becton and Wills. I mean Thomas and and Wills and Wirfs and um, Makai Becton and even Austin Jackson. But I'll just stop at just those four. Just those four for a second. Compared to the other four, it's night and day. It's oh not even gosh. close. So no. that's that's kind of the luck of the draw with the offensive tackles. So to get four, and, and that's if we just say four. If you get four guys who end up being linchpins of an offensive line and pro bowlers, that would be a phenomenal tackle draft. And that's why I think this will be known as as the draft of the tackles. And I know you agree as well because you just don't have four really good prospects come out at tackle very often at all, especially since I've been doing this. And I've been doing it a little while. And then when you throw in Josh Jones, potentially Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, and the other tackles who have a chance, I mean, in three years, we may say, wow, look at this Mm -hmm. draft for tackles. Yeah, and I think this upcoming draft class is another great example. You've got Penny Sewell as OT1, and then a lot of question marks. Cosme at Texas, and Leatherwood at Alabama, and I, I really like Rashawn Slater at Northwestern. I think he can be an OT2. Um, I've got an article coming out uh, on Thursday at The Athletic um, who I, I'm kind of listing off some surprise first-round options, including one of my sleepers uh, at offensive tackle. Maybe he could be that guy. So, you know, it's it, there's a lot of question marks for this offensive tackle class coming up with only one surefire first-rounder. So it just kind of speaks to your overall po- point of how rare it is to find uh, this this many Starting not only starting caliber, but above average guys who will make Pro Bowls uh, at some point in their career. So uh, really impressive. Uh, before we get out of here, I did want to touch on Trey Lance. Uh, he does make it official. He will enter uh, the 2021 NFL Draft. He had a showcase game last Saturday. Really a mixed bag. He's 15 of 30, um, two touchdowns on the ground, two touchdowns uh, through the air. Uh, was not uh, sharp early on, but I tell you what, I was really impressed in the fourth quarter. Uh, four of five uh, for like 56 yards, uh, and the most impressive throw that he had was actually the incompletion, where he threw a perfect straight 50 yards down the field uh, off his receiver's hands. So uh, Trey Lance, I don't think necessarily moved the needle uh, in one way or the other with that with that showcase game against Central Arkansas, but I think it did showcase just how talented this guy is, but at the same time, still very, very raw. He's going to enter the NFL with 17 career starts and all of them coming against FCS competition. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unlike a Carson Wentz, he's not going to have the senior bowl to really help him uh, throughout the process. So there's definitely risk involved with a player like this, but I tell you what, the talent, man, so enticing. You know, I just want to, the only thing I want to say about this right now is I heard people question why would you do that? And I'm getting so, I don't know about you, but I get so sick and tired of, of, 
of every of outsiders of people who aren't playing and people who aren't evaluating, you know, for NFL teams, the idea that why would you play? Just don't play. Just don't play. Don't right. play. Sit out. Don't play. You know what? I like guys who play. <laughs> I like guys who compete. This just you know, in. I you know who else like does? Guys, NFL teams. The NFL teams like guys who compete. And you know what? That's not going to hurt him at all. You, you talked about he wasn't very sharp. Look, he's got a little hitch in his throw. That could hurt him. Not mm-hmm. throwing on time. That could hurt him. Playing a game and competing and going out there and, and wanting to compete will never hurt a player. It's not going to hurt a player. It, you can either play or you can't play. You can't hide it. The tape is going to show it. But the competitive spirit is something NFL teams like. So this idea that just sit out, just sit out, just sit out. Teams want you to compete. And when they know you have competitive spirit, and especially at quarterback, where it's extremely necessary, it's really necessary anywhere on the NFL field, um, that's going to benefit Trey Lance. The fact that he went out there and said, yeah, I know it's one game. Yeah, I know you haven't seen me much, and I could sit there and not show you any tape and let you sit on 18. But I'm going to, I mean, sit on 2019, but I'm going to go out there and I want to play. I like football. I love football. And I thought that was great. But, you know, that one-year starter thing, Dane, that's a concern. Especially because, as a redshirt freshman. Absolutely. Yeah, as a redshirt freshman, because we roll it into the NFL with Dwayne Haskins. And Dwayne yep. Haskins had one year. And the concern is, okay, 50 touchdowns, that looks great. But that he still hasn't seen. He doesn't have the – you cannot buy experience. You cannot fast-forward experience. You have to go through it. And Dwayne Haskins is now going through the bumps and bruises and difficult times of a second-year quarterback who now has film out there for everyone to study. And Washington Redskins benched him this week. Do you think that is the right move to bench the quarterback. Um, this isn't Ron Rivera's quarterback. He did not. He brought in Kyle right. Allen with him from Carolina. Kyle Allen's getting a start. But, Dane, what are your thoughts on developing a, a quarterback that you drafted or letting a head coach try to do what he thinks is best to create a win? Well, I mean, it's such a loaded conversation because, I mean, first off, this, you know, Coach Gruden didn't want him either. This was a Dan Snyder pick. And so, it, you know, it, that that's that's a tough spot right there when, you know, the owner's making a pick. And uh, I think there's a lot behind the scenes we just don't know uh, in terms of his day-to-day preparation. Uh, you know, how is he doing with the playbook and, you know, with everything involved with being a professional quarterback, how tough that is. Uh, but I think it's also, you know, brings up the larger point about how important it is for a quarterback with where you are drafted. Not talking about round or pick. I'm talking about the organization. Uh, you know, it's it's something it's it's really a moot point because we'll never know. But if Pat Mahomes does not go to Kansas City where they have the infrastructure uh, of that coaching staff and uh, the culture that they have, uh, you know, with Alex Smith in the quarterback room, you know, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is so good that he probably still ends up being Patrick Mahomes. But if he goes to a different organization, who knows how it plays out? And with Dwayne Haskins. Uh, who only had the one year as a redshirt sophomore. And that was a very good year. He had 54 total touchdowns. But he goes to a culture and an organization where there are just so many question marks, so many concerns. Um, uh, he just it, – it's really it, – it's it's unfair to Haskins, but it just makes it a challenge to fully understand, uh, you know, how much is on Haskins, how much of it is the situation. But I think it does shine a light on just how important the situation is for these young quarterbacks. Yeah, and I think it shines a light on experience as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's important that you get that second year in, and that's what Trey Lance is not going to have through no fault of his own. I mean, that's just the way that's just the way it's going to go because of COVID. But it does, 
you know, it does beg the question, how, how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go with a guy who has 17 games of starting experience with going with a guy like Haskins, who is not a, is not a very mobile quarterback, which is that's really strike one for any quarterback headed into the draft anymore is you really need to have some ability to extend and make plays because if not, you become that pocket target, a sitting duck, what you'll find is you'll, you'll start catching a lot of zero blitzes and they'll say, okay, let's see if you can beat us with your eyes and your mind because we'll, we'll bring you, we know you can't handle a zero blitz unless you can handle it um, mentally in terms of the pre-snap reads and, and your ability to recognize sneaky blitz, you know, walk-ups. And so uh, I, I think with Dwayne Haskins, this is a really tough one for Washington because you want to develop them. But at the same time, we've seen organizations go down this road of going three years with a quarterback and even into a fourth year where they're still not sure. And they're trying to convince themselves, you know, sometimes, and I'm not saying this is the case with, with Haskins, but sometimes a coach will know because Mm -hmm. of practice habits. You mentioned that. And I have not heard anything on Haskins, but I'm just saying in general practice habits um, in uh, football IQ, uh, quickness through progressions, accuracy, Poise. These are all things we look for pre-snap. Well, if they're not seeing it in practice and they're not seeing it in the games, and they're and, and a head coach is starting to get the sense that a team doesn't buy into a quarterback, then you have a really difficult decision between ownership, management, and the coaching staff of whether or not to keep rolling with the guy who might continue to push you further into a hole or try to get out of it and worry more about culture of winning, you know, of, of creating a winning culture than developing a quarterback that you don't believe in. This to me feels like Ron Rivera is, this could be a very bad sign for Dwayne Haskins because it could be a sign that he's getting a no confidence vote from the head coach. And even from, you know, from management and ownership, um, that's, that would be a big concern to me if I were Haskins. It would be a sign that this coach does not believe in me, and maybe some of these players don't believe in me. So it'll be interesting to see how they move forward if Kyle Allen uh, performs average. To your point about experience, last thing before we'll go. Last seven years, here are the five redshirt sophomore quarterbacks uh, who have declared early and gone early. Uh, so only redshirt sophomores. Jameis Winston, Johnny Manziel, Deshaun Kaiser, Sam Darnold, Dwayne Haskins. Not a lot of success in that group. And Darnold, we're still kind of up in the air on. But a lot of these other guys, I mean, Manziel's a back, or uh, Winston's a backup. Manziel's out of the league. Kaiser uh, has been bouncing around, uh, but he doesn't seem to have much of a future. And Haskins is up in the air. So that experience is so key uh, to your point. So it's just, it, it's going to be a situation that's going to be really interesting to follow. And uh, you know, I, I hope he gets you know more opportunities this year, but it doesn't. He's not going to be active this week, and it sounds like Washington might be ready to move on. So, uh, you know, we'll be having another maybe another team to talk about this uh, draft process. And as, Dane, uh, he's not a red quarterback. Sh- he was not a redshirt sophomore, but a one-year starter in uh, Mitch Trubisky, and yeah, that yeah. really hasn't worked out. Yeah, exactly. No, that's 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 a great point. So. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, For Lance, uh, I'm Dane. Catch us next week on Prospects of Pros. Uh, We'll see you then. 